One of the more interesting side effects of this little community we have here is that because we do things more low-key online and usually at different times than the more traditional churches, I usually have the opportunity to really see what other churches are doing on a given Sunday, well before I even get around to doing my preaching for the week. Now, oftentimes, this isn't such a big deal. I mean, unlike many in my profession, I do have a strict personal belief against borrowing from other sermons and services and so on. So it isn't really about that. I'm not looking for stuff to use. But it does give me a unique perspective, the ability to see just what things seem to be important in the larger Christian world, what things most pastors, whether we're talking about the well-meaning, kind, accepting mainline pastors or the mildly psychotic megachurch pastors, feel what they feel is important to highlight come Sunday morning. And this week, oh boy, it was all about the pageantry. For those of you who are unaware, this past week, the Christian Church Worldwide celebrated the Pentecost holiday. And for those of you who are unaware of this fact, well, I can only assume that you're not connected to any other Christians on social media, because let me tell you, us Christian folk just do not shut up about Pentecost. In peeping in on the various services from around the world this week, I saw Everything from multilingual performative prayer demonstrations to interpretive dance to actual fire being used as a prop in church. And in the midst of all of this, both in service and out of it, were pastors, church leaders, and plain old regular folk who just can't stop talking about that one time 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit came down and everybody spoke a bunch of different languages, or maybe people just understood a bunch of different languages. I don't know. But whatever it was, it happened. And guys, it was so cool. It's like we got that one awesome miracle moment and we just can't let it go. Now, if I'm being honest, I could just let this entire thing devolve into a listicle-style top 10 misconceptions that everybody has about Pentecost-type deal today and really dig into how often we misunderstand just what happened on that fateful, miraculous day. But to be truly, brutally honest, I, I think that the Christian church has a bit of a, shall we say, a middle school storyteller problem. That is to say, we're, we're really, really, almost excessively, to the point where it's more than a little bit weird, invested in these, and then everybody clapped sort of moments, these stories in the scriptural narrative. These kind of 
self-congratulatory. Look how awesome God is and therefore we also must be. This kind of storytelling like that, it's a central part of the American Christian experience. And of course, by uh, virtue of American imperialism and colonialism, it's baked into a lot of Christianity worldwide too. But we just love these kind of dramatic moments in our stories. Uh, we're climax junkies. We want to skip ahead to the point in the story where all the good stuff happens, where God appears in flaming glory to make things happen miraculously without any effort being had on our part. Hmm. I wonder if there's anything to that. But anyway, the, the one thing I've noticed, and I'm willing to wager a lot of you have probably noticed this too, it's that when we make stories like these the focus of our faith, even on a singular holiday, I don't know, it just, it feels like it's falling flat. It feels today more obviously self-congratulatory, like, like a guy desperately trying to hype himself up at a party full of people 10 years or more younger than he is, praying that they won't notice that he's got nothing left in the tubes but this one story about this one time that something awesome happened long before anyone else there was even born. But when you look at churches today, you can almost feel that desperate energy, the reaching for the bigger, the bolder, the more dramatic, trying to make these exciting stories, these powerful moments seem bigger, bolder, even more exciting, hoping against hope that this year, this year will finally, finally be the year that we tell the story just dramatically enough for people to finally get excited. But Pentecost comes rolling around and truth be told, a lot of us aren't really feeling that sort of self-congratulatory, praise Jesus sort of mood. A lot of us are looking at the state of the world and the work of the church in it, and we're not feeling in the mood of a pat ourselves on the back miracle story. We're not feeling at all able to take joy in this idea of the descent of the Holy Spirit. When we hear about the Holy Spirit making <clears throat> dramatic fiery work in the hearts and minds of people, facilitating communication between people, spreading the good news of peace and kindness into a world wracked with hatred and violence and division. This idea sounds great, but it doesn't remind us of the church anymore. When we look up on the church, we see a church that remains in far too many places committed to the condemnation of large groups of people on the grounds of their very identity. We see churches and Christians individually denying obvious facts, tossing science and basic health and safety right out the window in the name of their own self-interest. We see congregations crying out in support of fascists, cheering for racist police violence, grasping their guns and clutching their pearls while the spirit moves inexorably farther and farther away from the people who more and more loudly claim its presence. We hear the story of Pentecost, tall tales of tongues of fire, speaking in tongues, and just really weirdly a lot of talk about tongues in general. And we hear about this great miracle of communication, and then we look to a church 
that seems to be gleefully celebrating the fact that it's becoming harder and harder to communicate with each other, harder and harder for even those of us who speak the same language to be seen and heard by one another anymore. And if you're anything like me, you see and you hear all of this, you feel all of this in the depth of your soul. And when the pastors step up to their pulpits with all these crazy fire-based imagery, wild props, and, and I really can't stress enough that this was a real thing I saw this week, actual fire in church. You see this and you just want to shrug your shoulders and kick out a frustrated sigh and just say, oh, enough. So this is why, uh, among other far more lazy reasons, that I've decided this week to forego the pageantry, to set aside my video editing tools, set aside video editing entirely, actually, and just look, I mean, really look to the word of God. I wanted instead to spend a little time with a different passage, not the, the Pentecost story, something different, something that might have a better chance of telling us just how we can expect to encounter the Holy Spirit in our own lives, and not how it was encountered in exuberant, dramatic imagery 2,000 years ago. So consider these words from Paul's letter to the Romans. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So now before we settle into the text properly, I think it's important for us to open up with one key fact that I think we really need to confront when we're thinking about what we've heard here from the text. Now, today's text comes from a letter, and that letter was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul, as you may have gathered from both his name and the fact that he made a career out of going from place to place, telling other people what to do with their lives, he was a man. And not only was he a man, but he was a childless, unmarried, and we presume a celibate man. And in the opening lines of today's passage, we find Paul, human male, waxing philosophical about the pains of childbirth. <laughs> now, this is by very definition something that he absolutely, unequivocally knows 100% nothing about. Dude has no idea what labor pains are. But he's leaning into this analogy with all the unearned confidence of a rich Caucasian YouTuber who's convinced that poor people just need to work harder and that all women really just hate nice guys. 
Paul here is trying to give a clear picture of the Holy Spirit to explain as clearly and plainly as he is able exactly what the Spirit is and how it is at work in the community and the world at large. He's trying to take a piece of an almighty, omnipotent deity, one-third of the Holy Trinity, and put it in a box to make it make sense, not just to everyone else in Rome, but to himself as well. Of course, like a lot of us, he starts out on that journey with a sort of gibbering, self-absorbed, unself-aware misstep founded on a bunch of assumptions about things that he has no business talking about in the first place. And what's worse is that not only are his intentions so clearly good, but he's not technically wrong about the point he's trying to make in the general sense. His terrible analogy here is highlighting a real concern that the spirit of God is present in and among the people, yet suffering persists. God is here, but so is pain and hurt and loss. And it feels like these two things can't coexist, should not at all coexist, but nonetheless, they're here. It's one of those contradictions that borders on paradox, two things that seem like they should cancel each other out. And Paul's intent here is to make it make sense because he wants his readers to experience hope rather than fear. He's writing to a people who would definitely be fearful about this, fearful about suffering and persecution that was coming their way, might already have been upon them. They wanted a word of hope, some sign that this Pentecost miracle wasn't a one-off, that there was something more to the idea of God being present in and among us, preferably in a way that would preclude or at least lessen some of that aforementioned suffering. And the Apostle Paul, bless his celibate heart, makes the cardinal error that every first-time father has made at least once during their first go at their wives being in labor. He stepped into the situation and proudly proclaimed, oh, I know what this is. You're going to be fine. By the way, uh, if anyone listening to this is a young man on that journey towards their very first child or really just likely to spend any amount of time with a pregnant woman near to giving birth, please avail yourself of the following piece of advice. Do not, under any circumstances, tell a pregnant woman that A, you know what they're going through, or B, that they just need to not worry about it because something better is on the way. I can almost guarantee you that whichever pregnant woman you choose to tell that to is likely going to punch you in a very discreet location on your anatomy in as indiscreetly a way as is humanly possible. And truth be told, she'd kind of be right to do so. Look, as a guy who may or may not have made that exact mistake myself during my wife's first pregnancy, I know the temptation to use hope as a springboard to vault your way from painful present to brighter future. I know the temptation to avoid confronting a difficult and uncomfortable now using hope as a shortcut. We hate discomfort. And it often feels like hope is a real easy way out. But hope only seems like an easy way out if you're not the one who's suffering. When you're the one suffering, hope is a threat. Hope is empty promises, 
arrogantly delivered as an excuse to avoid doing anything that might be mistaken for actually helping to alleviate any of the suffering at hand. And this is why Paul doesn't stop with his borderline hilarious exercise in arrogant presumption. He starts there because, like the rest of us, he's human. But his motion from there through the rest of today's passage is an example of what it looks like when we allow the Spirit to take us on the journey from our own self-contained arrogance to a place of real, Spirit-led compassion. Hope, he says, real hope is based in what is not seen. Consider that, if you will, as churches around the world bask in the celebration of the most obviously visible miracle story in the New Testament. Hope that is seen is not really hope at all. It's the illusion of hope. Uh, we humans love the visible signs of hope because they're powerful. And boy, do we love power. Powerful, visible symbols of hope give us strength, give us courage, give us the ability to be firm and secure in our faith, utterly convinced that we're the ones who are right and others are the ones who are wrong and that those who disagree with our hope must hang on. That really isn't hope, is it? Kind of sounds like the other thing. We hope for what we do not see. We hope for comfort, for peace, for security, for all the things that settle over our places of weakness and wounding like a balm and whisper to us that we're going to be okay, that we're loved, that we're cared for, and that we're welcome in this space. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. While everyone's out there celebrating with banging cymbals, great bands and assemblies, crying God's glory loudly to the heavens, the Spirit moves in sighs too deep for words, in quiet breaths of peace and mercy, not to the proud and the boastful, not to the worshipful and the pious, but to the hurt and the wounded. I know some of you who listened to this may have gone and enjoyed some of that fun Pentecost pageantry this week, and that's perfectly fine. It's great to go out and celebrate God, especially if that's what really helps you connect with God in your own heart, but don't mistake the songs and the streamers, the festivals and the solemn assemblies, the props, the gimmicks, and even the great miracle story itself. Don't mistake those things for the presence of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is at once larger and more quiet than all of that. The Holy Spirit is the whisper that binds us, the breath of wind that connects us, the unifying thread that binds us in the thought that all are welcome, that all are loved. The Holy Spirit is the echo of God's divinity in us and in the world, which tells us that it's okay to be broken, for the Spirit is made perfect in our weakness. The Holy Spirit is that inexplicable something that tells us that it doesn't matter if we get it right. It doesn't matter if we start from a place of arrogant presumption, outright stupidity, overwhelming privilege, or just happen to be a complete screw-up because we don't know how to pray as we ought. We all suck at figuring this stuff out. But the Spirit 
is that which makes it okay anyways. The Holy Spirit makes our heartfelt attempts good enough, makes up the difference so that we can find that connection to God that we've been looking for all our lives. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate bridge builder, working with our own weaknesses, our own imperfections, and building out from those to connect us to God and to connect us to each other. So this week, I want to invite you all to keep your eyes open, not for those moments of great pageantry or those places of narrative drama where the stories of our lives take sudden and unexpected turns. Don't go hunting for God like a deranged neophyte, expecting that God only turns up in moments where radical change happens, where things get weird and get crazy. Instead, look for the Holy Spirit in the silence. Listen for God in those tender moments where you're alone with your suffering and your pain, in that place where all you can ask is, why? Because our hope isn't found in what is visible. It's not rooted in the expectation of dramatic change to our reality. Our hope is based in what is not visible, in that quiet whisper that God's healing for us and for the world it's going to be a journey, a journey in which we are invited and expected to take part. God's healing for us in the world is a narrative that is still unfolding, a story that has a part written just for us. Our hope rests in the spirit that helps us in our weakness, intercedes with sighs too deep for words, and moves beyond those places of arrogant presumption, beyond those broken places where we think we know who and what God is, and encourages us to be compassionate as we are healed, caring as we are cared for, and loving as we too are loved. So if you've listened this far, I want to thank you for sticking with us. We're going to step away here for a second, and Travis is going to join us for a moment of prayer. After that, I got a few announcements for you, and then we're going to call it an end for this week. So let's take a minute, and we're going to go over to Travis for a moment of prayer. This week, we find ourselves with an abundance of things to pray for. That seems to be our status quo. With 2020 and all its disasters, many of us find ourselves wrung out, unsure whether we'll even be able to care about the next tragedy. The air this week was thick with humidity, the kind of weather that feels one moment away from a storm. Heavy clouds, but no rain. Let us pray then, as we are moved in separate forms and separate places. There is war and bloodshed in Palestine, so let us start with the father, clutching his wounded baby, emerging from an unimaginable hell of his family's death in an airstrike. We pray for him and all those like him, who have experienced loss beyond measure. We pray for India, for Africa, for the record victims of virus and fungus and poverty, each of them named, each of them loved. We pray for the countries and places where sickness still spreads unchecked for want of the supplies we take for granted. We pray for our communities, our friends and families and neighbors, for those personal and local struggles that overshadow everything else. We pray for outreach, for helpers, for acts of love and kindness. And 
we pray for ourselves, for the strength to let go, to turn off the news, close the app, and sigh too deep for words, to say, Lord, you know what is in my heart, so I leave it in your hands. Lord, we pray for relief. We pray for all those who suffer, whether from war, disease, hunger, or bigotry, or shame. We pray for them because they are us, fathers, mothers, friends, and children. We pray for the rain, for your presence in our lives, gentle and nourishing like those first spring showers. We pray that we may all rediscover joy, marvel at your creation, smile at a glimmer of light in a puddle, or the holes in a leaf that look like a face. We pray for the simple pleasures, light and laughter and love. With hope in our hearts, together and alone, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, Travis, for that wonderful time of prayer and reflection. If you're still with us here down to the end, I really do want to thank you for sticking around with us. Uh, we love having you as part of our community, uh, no matter what degree you're involved in. Uh, but if you want to be involved more, I want to invite you to join our Discord server. That's where the most of our community interaction is having. It's an online text thread and video conference kind of environment where we are all communicating with each other, kind of like a private social media environment. It's easy to think of it that way, I guess. So I want to invite you to come join us there. It's a good way to be part of a community, even if it's just for a few minutes a day on your phone. Uh, you're welcome to be a part of what we're doing there. Uh, if you just want to keep an eye on the things we're doing, we have, of course, our scripture and sermon, which comes out Sundays or Mondays, depending on how schedule goes. Uh, we have our Thursday Psalm from the Trails series, which, God willing, if the COVID breaks down a little bit out here, I'll be able to actually get out to a real trail and record soon enough, but we are still reading through the Psalms. On Fridays, we have our Remote Pastoral Care series. I really want to invite you to tune in for this week because we have got a bunch of guests joining us this week. It's going to be a real big one. Uh, really worth checking that out if you have a moment. On Saturdays, we have our weekly check-in, uh, which is 10.30 p.m. Japan time or 9.30 a.m. Uh, Eastern time in the U.S., where we get together and have an open time of voice chat conversation, video chat on our Discord server, where we all just kind of check in and see how we're doing. You're welcome to join us for that, too. Uh, all of the information for these things you can find on our website, which is linked down in the description. So feel free to check it out there. And if you have any questions about stuff, feel free to send me an email as well. That's down in the description as well. Lastly, and most importantly, I just want to let you know that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter where you are, no matter when you are, that this week I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you and that God is with you as well. Take care. <laughs>